Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. Good morning. It's good to be continuing on our series, but before we do that, I just, um, I was thinking about a couple things just related to the dates. Uh, Right now, I believe it's March 7th, and Easter's only four weeks away. I mean, it seems like we were just at Christmas, and here we are. Easter is four Sundays away. That's crazy. But that reminds me that uh, it was almost a year ago March 15th, 2020, that we had our kind of last normal service here at New City. We had a, we had a service, and then after, after March 15th, we went into, like, shutdown, and we had a live service here um, without anybody in the room, and then we decided we couldn't keep doing that, and so we went online with a pre-recorded service, and then I think it was May or June, we welcomed adults back into a live service, and then it was all the way maybe to, like, the fall before kids came back, and I was just reflecting, wow, you know, it's been a year. It's crazy. It's been a year, and I I think about um, the anxieties that I've had around being a pastor here at this church and having to adjust a lot, Uh, and I know our leaders have had to adjust a lot, and even going into 2020, we had ambitions for the church that totally got sidelined because of everything that's happened over the past year. And it makes me wonder about um, your own life and maybe what ambitions you had for last year that instead of pursuing those ambitions, you were filled with anxiety because of all the unknowns over the last year. And I know that we've all been through it in different ways, and it's been challenging. It's been a year of worry. It's been a year of trying to figure out which way is up. Um, But it's good because today, the passage that we're looking at as we continue in Matthew uh, has to do with the very things of ambitions and anxieties. We're going to look today at Jesus' teaching on ambitions refocused and anxieties released. Uh, as Cody comes up to read our text for us, I'm going to pray, and, and then we'll get into God's word. Lord Jesus, we ask for your spirit. We ask for the presence of your spirit here the very words that come from God, uh, we pray that those words would change the way we think, that would change what we love, it would change how we live. Only you can do that. We can't even really do that in our own lives unless your spirit comes and works. And so we pray boldly, not because we've been good, but because you are good and you love to take sinners You love to forgive them through Jesus Christ, and you love to renovate their lives. And so we ask even now that you continue that renovation project uh, in our hearts and in our church. And all God's people said, amen. Let's hear God's word. Let's work together. Jesus says, don't stir up. For yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. 
For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the reading of God's word. Amen. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. When it comes to living greatly, we all have ambitions. We have ambitions for our life. We have goals for our finances. We have a vision for our families and ambitions for our relationships. When it, when it comes to living greatly, we all have ambitions, but sometimes those ambitions are misplaced. Uh, Cindy had misplaced ambitions. You don't know Cindy. Uh, Cindy was a, a runner who was training for the Boston Marathon uh, several years ago, and in order to qualify for the Boston Marathon, she had to run the New York City Marathon. And, and and Cindy had become a little bit of an influencer online. She liked to take pictures of her running. She liked to take pictures of the products she was using to stay healthy and the gear she was wearing in order to run fast. And so she had a little bit of a following, a little bit of a group that was cheering her on as she prepared to run the New York City Marathon in order that she could pursue this ambition of qualifying for Boston, the Boston Marathon, one of the great marathons in the world. And the day of the race came, and she was posting pictures uh, about 
the, the things that she was eating and the things that she was packing in her clothes. And so she had this pre-race picture that she posted on social media. And then hours later, she had a post-race picture that said, I did it, I beat my time, and I, I was fast enough to qualify for Boston. And, uh, and everyone online who had been following her cheered for her because she had been pursuing her ambition and she reached it. Uh, everyone cheered for her except a man named Derek. A man named Derek who was sitting behind a computer in Cincinnati. And Derek himself was a former marathon runner. And as he ran marathons, he had come to discover that there was a lot of cheating that goes on in these marathons. And it's really hard to detect. But Derek actually got curious and became quite good at finding people who had cheated in these marathons. He would look at their current time, and then all the race results are online, so you could go back and look and see if someone's time from a previous race made it look like their current time was unrealistic. He also found that at a lot of these marathons, they have video at the finish line, or they'll hire professional photographers to take pictures of every single runner and post them online, and you can see the times. And so Derek got wind of uh, Cindy, and he decided just to, to check it out. And he, he looked at her last race before the New York Marathon, and she had only run a half marathon. But her marathon time, the pace was much, much, much faster than her half marathon time, which didn't make sense that she had run longer but did it in a shorter amount of time. And so Derek began to investigate those photos and those videos and he, uh, he found Cindy's bib number crossing the finish line. The, the bib number is that thing that you pin on your shirt that says what number you are in the race. And he found a photo of that bib crossing the finish line, except it wasn't attached to Cindy. It was, uh, Cindy was a petite athletic woman, and it was attached to a tall, lanky man who looked like he was built to run. Well, you get what happened. Uh, Derek called the officials of the race, and Cindy was disqualified, and she lost that qualification for Boston. Now, we can guess uh, around the motivations of someone who might sit behind their computer all day and look for cheaters and other marathons, um, but I want to, for a moment, focus on Cindy and just try to imagine what was driving her. Uh, this ambition that she was striving for to run in the Boston Marathon. Um, what, what was driving her? Well, we don't know. I mean, was she afraid of something? Was there a status that she was trying to achieve? Was there something she felt like she could attain if she could just, uh, if she could just run in Boston? And then it makes me wonder about what it was like for her the morning of the New York City Marathon, the one where she allegedly cheated. That makes me wonder if she was worried or anxious if she was going to get caught, and it just makes me wonder about uh, her ambitions because there was something about her ambitions in particular that were misplaced. I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of people ran the New York City Marathon that day, and to run any sort of race, you have to have some ambition, especially to run 26 miles. You have to have a lot of ambition, but there's something about Cindy's ambition that was off. That was misplaced. Cindy 
was running so hard after her ambitions that she actually didn't run at all. She evidently hired someone else to run for her. What are you chasing after? What are you running after? What are your ambitions in life? Uh, Jesus tells us in this passage that we can be running after things. We can have great ambitions, and some of those ambitions can be misplaced. Look at what Jesus says in verse 19. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, now what Jesus is saying is, is that if your ambition is to get stuff, that's a misplaced ambition. Because any material thing that you have is going to break down, rot out, get stolen, get lost, fail to meet your expectations, fail to fulfill you. Everything that is material in this world is not meant to fulfill you. In fact, right now, your stuff it isn't even safe while you're at church. One of my friends used to say, listen, just because you you're at church, don't think that your house isn't trying to figure out ways to break down right now. I mean, we might go out and your car might be stolen by the time we get done with church. But that's just the reality of having stuff. Jesus is telling us, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And I think he's talking about material things, but I think there's a place for us to even say it's also immaterial things. Like when we chase after security, we can never quite get our hands on it. When we chase after comfort, we, we never quite get comfortable enough. When we, when we chase after and run after power, we can lose that power as soon as we gain it. When we live our lives looking for pleasure, pleasure is great until we don't have it, and then we end up chasing it more. Uh, there's a sense where even the immaterial things of this world just get destroyed, get stolen, get lost, don't fulfill. But look what Jesus says in the next verse. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. Uh, one of the things that Jesus is saying is that you can't live just for this life. Now, I think as Christians we know that, but sometimes we forget that because our culture is so secular in the mindset that we forget that there's a whole life to come. Our best life is not now. Our best life is living in eternity with Jesus. And nothing, nothing in the new city, nothing in the new heavens and the new earth will break down, get stolen, rot out, rust, uh, get lost. Every moment of every day in the life to come for Christians will be absolutely fulfilling in the presence of God as we worship Jesus. And so what Jesus is telling us is, listen, anything that you place your ambition and your ultimate ambition in, in this world, is an ambition that's misplaced. But when you place your deepest ambitions in God, in the purposes of God, in the promises of God, in living for God, then your ambition is rightly placed. But how do you know? How do you know where you're at? How do you know what you're ultimately living for? Well, Jesus tells us in the next verse, verse 22, he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, now the heart is the deepest part of who we are. It's our emotions, but it's more. 
It's like our deepest thoughts. It's our core identity. It's the place where we have those deep fears and longings and desires and ambitions. And if we begin to look at our heart, we can see what we really treasure. We can see what we really treasure. So in other words, in those moments when you're alone, what do you get worried about? What do you get deeply worried about? When you think about your life and you think about losing some things in your life and you have fears about things in your life, uh, what is it? What do you say in your heart, oh, I couldn't go on living if I didn't have this? Now, of course, we love our loved ones. We've all had to wrestle with uh, losing family and friends. But, but sometimes there's other things that we long for that shake our identity. It's those things that, that, that are like power and security and status and comfort and wealth and money and all those things that we go, if I don't have that, it, life wouldn't be worth living. How about this? How, how do you measure other people? One theologian said, think about how in your heart you measure other people. Like, is it because of their family situation? Is it because of their comfort? Is it because of how much security that they have that you either think they deserve or don't deserve? Those are hard questions to answer, but it's worth answering because if you do answer them, you'll find out what your heart treasures. You'll find out what your heart treasures. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But Jesus goes on to tell us that even though our treasures can be revealed, they can also be refocused. Our ambitions can be refocused. Look what he says in verse 22. In verse 22, he says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? What I love about what Jesus says right here is he doesn't tell us to do different things. He's talking about the way we see the things that we do. How do you see the promotion that you're chasing after? How do you see your money? Uh, How do you see the influence you have? There's a way that you can see those things as ways to continue to pursue God or as ways that you can continue to pursue your own kingdom. Jesus doesn't tell us necessarily to do different things. He's addressing the ways in which we see the things that we do. We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's word. encouraging us to refocus our ambitions, to refocus our ambitions. As you think about the things in your life and as you think about letting Jesus come and be king over every area of your life, what area might you need to refocus in order to let him rule and reign over? Where you might you need to refocus your ambitions with the way you write checks, with the way you spend your time, with the relationships that you choose to have, with, with the friends that you have, with the energy that you use for certain things. We're called to see the things we do from a lens of how can we pursue God in the midst of those things because here's the hard part about it. When Jesus gets to the core of all this, he says, when you get deep, you get deep into the heart, 
when you get deep of the heart and see what's truly treasured, there's really only two ways to live your life. There's really only two ways to live your life. There, there, there's ambition for self or there's ambition for God. Now, that's interesting because you and I, if we sat down and talked and I said, what's your ambitions? We would hear a hundred different things from all the people here. But Jesus gets deeper and says, what's underneath all those ambitions? Look, look at what he says in the next verses in verse 24. No one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And you just went, I don't have any money, so I'm good. <laughs> I'm serving God. Well, well, hold on. So that word money, I, I, I think there's a better translation of that. It, it comes from the word mammon. And mammon means more like wealth the things that you possess. In fact, it's almost like a god of wealth. And what's sort of nuanced in even that word mammon is the thing trusted in. Not just money. It can be money, but it's ultimately the thing trusted in. So you can have a lot of money and not trust in it, but trust in God. You can have no money, but still trust in the money that you want to have What do you trust in? What do you ultimately trust in? Your ambitions. What what are they ultimately about? What are you ultimately pursuing? Are are you pursuing status? Are, Are you ultimately trusting in the way that people perceive you? Is it getting your bank account to a certain number? But what are you ultimately trusting in? What is in the deepest parts of your heart? What are you looking for to give you life and security? What makes life worth living? Jesus says at the deepest part of who you are, it can only be God or something else. It can only be God or something else. See, uh, when you get tight with your money, and Jesus is talking about money on some level, uh, what what happens? Um, See, when, when we get tight with our money, what we tend to do is stop being generous and stop giving to God's purposes. And instead, we guard our pleasures and our comforts and the things that give us status and make us feel safe. Yes, that, what that reveals what we trust in. Not God. Not God. You get an offer for a promotion, but you know that you will have to sacrifice your soul in order to work that job. You do it? Well, certainly getting a promotion is not wrong, but we just automatically go, well, God wants my life to be the best possible. He wants to, me to have as much money. He wants me to have security. He wants me to have status. And so, of course, I'm going to say yes, and I know it will cost me something, but that's fine. No, God, God wants you to trust him. Ultimately, God wants to be the thing, but not the thing, the person that you trust most in your life. A friend of mine was talking with one of his friends, and she said, Um, I just got a new job offer, and I'm going to make a ton of cash. He said, really? And she said, yeah, and I'm going to be around really influential people, and I'm going to make a ton of cash. He said, okay, tell me more. And she goes, well, I'm really excited. I'm going to get to travel around and meet with really important folks, 
and I'm going to make a ton of cash. And then at the end, she goes, and I'm sure God will use me. And my friend was like, be careful. Be careful. It's not wrong to take the job, but be careful by what you're saying. I can already see that you're starting to trust in something and tack God on the end rather than trust God first. Be careful. Well, let me be honest with you, because as we've gone through this, I, I, I have no doubt that you feel a little bit of anxiety as we're talking about these things, right? Because if you start living generously, if you put your ultimate trust in God, you, you go after the things of God before you go after the material things of this world, a little anxiety comes up in you and you go, well, who's going to take care of me, right? Who's going to take care of me? Look, look what Jesus says next, though. In verse 25, he says, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. Now, here's what's interesting. Everything Jesus said from his perspective is meant to give you freedom about not worrying about your life. That's why he says, therefore. You have to look and see what the therefore is there for. He's connecting it back with everything he's just taught us, and it's supposed to give us freedom to say, I don't need to worry about my life. But for some reason, it makes us anxious, doesn't it? So we need more. We need more from Jesus, and he gives us. He gives us more. He says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Uh, first of all, you have to talk to yourself a little bit here. In order to release your anxiety, you have to talk to yourself. And you have to say, self, my life is more than. My life is more than the amount of people that follow me on social media. Uh, my life is more than the number of clients I have in my business. My life is more than my bank account. My life is more than the status I have. My life in God's eyes is more than anything that this world offers me. My life is more than. My life is more than. But, but look what Jesus says. He didn't say all that, that stuff that I just said. He said, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body what you will wear, he said something much more basic, something much more lower on Maslow's hierarchy. Life is more than food and the body's more than clothing. There's something that we think uh, living greatly looks like, and it excludes suffering. We can't walk through life with needs and still live greatly. But Jesus teaches the exact opposite. And he actually lives the exact opposite. If you think of two of Jesus' greatest moments of living, one was when he was tempted in the wilderness and went 40 days without what? Food. And when he went to the cross and was stripped almost naked so that he could die for our sins. Now, I don't want to walk through either of those situations, but we have to take in the reality that our life is more than all the status and all the wealth and all the power, but it, we can also live greatly even when we're hungry. You, you, you know, uh, we look up to people who have walked through suffering and go, wow, that's amazing but yet it gives us anxiety, rightly so. It gives us anxiety when we think about ourselves walking through suffering. But we have to trust God that our life is more than anything else. 
more than anything that we would think gives it value because as creatures who are made in the image of God, God values us as his creatures. Look at what he says in verse 26. Jesus goes on and says, consider. Like, don't just look, think. Like, listen to the birds. Listen to them chirp. Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? The way that God has constructed creation is that it does not work unless he stays involved and intervenes unless he stays committed to every creature and every species. And what Jesus is doing is saying, well, what's an unimportant species? Uh, Maybe a bird, right? Well, I think birds are beautiful, but he's saying to make the world go around, humans who are created in the image of God are more important. But if God, as the creator, has committed himself to birds, doesn't he commit himself to you? Who are made in his image, who are made with dignity and respect and honor, who are given the, the, the privilege of watching over God's creation. What that means is you are valuable to God. God has committed himself to care for you because he's made you. Too many Christians, we live with this deist worldview as if God started the earth and spun it around and then goes back and just lets things play out. That's mostly in our minds. God is so involved in every detail of your life, it would overwhelm you if you were able to see it. God cares more about your needs than you do. You can release your anxiety by trusting that your life is valuable to God, but also that it is in God's control and not in your control. A friend of mine, uh, one of my great friends growing up, uh, Frankie, he loved cars. And over and over, he would he'd talk about getting a Mazda Miata. If he could just get a Mazda Miata, everything would be set right in his life. I emailed him the other day. I was like, can I tell that story about the Mazda Miata? He's like, yeah. Well, as he got older, it switched from a Mazda Miata to a Jeep. And he's like, if I can get a Jeep, man, that's awesome. So he went when he was an adult, and he got a Jeep. He bought it brand new on the lot. Drove it home, got home. A couple days later, he had to go back in and signed paperwork to make the Jeep officially his. Whether he was, he was going either to or from the lot, it was on that trip, he got in a car accident. Someone switched lanes on him, it flipped his Jeep over. This, this thing that was supposed to provide security in his life, it, it flipped the Jeep over and he hit his head on the window. Now he went to the hospital and he was fine, praise God. But about a month later, he started getting seizures. They couldn't figure out what was going on. Eventually, they figured it out. Um, From the time he was a boy, he had this dead tissue on his brain. And when he got in the accident, it had, like, dislodged it. That's all I'll say. I know you're kind of grossed out. Um, but, But he was able to get surgery and remove that tissue. And when he got the tissue removed, he said he didn't even know it, but he had bad sense of smell because of that dead tissue on his brain. And his smell... Uh, got better. Now, now let, me, let, me, let me see if you catch the irony here. Um, Frankie was not in control of his life. He thought, if I can only get this one thing, then that will make my life what it should be. And yet, on the very way to sign the papers to make it his, 
that thing gets destroyed. And yet God worked in that situation so that he could find out there was something on his brain that was not right to ultimately get it healed and make his life better. We have no clue what's going on in our lives. We think we know what we need. We think we're in control. We are not. But we can release the anxiety that comes with wanting to control our lives by trusting that God is in control. Look how Jesus says it in verse 27. You go to that next one. Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? What I love about this is this, like, this is in the Bible. This is from a Christian perspective. But this is just great advice, right, for anybody. You can't add anything to your life by worrying about it. Uh, you can worry about your health. You can plan and eat nutritiously, which you should. But you cannot ultimately determine when your life ends. I mean, you can plan with your money, which you should, but we don't know what's going to happen in the next few years with our bank accounts. We spend so much time worrying about things and stuff and health, and, and, and it's, it's not bad to plan. In fact, we should work hard. We should plan. We should not be reckless. We should not be lazy. And yet, Jesus says, don't worry, because worry doesn't add one moment. One moment to our lives. Ultimately, we are not in control. God is in control. But when we don't live with that perspective of knowing that he's in control, Jesus says our faith, our trust is deficient. Look what he says in verse 30. It's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow. Won't he do much more for you, you of Little faith. Now, when he says little faith, what he means by that is deficient faith. And so there's a sense where people trust God, but they have not learned to let, uh, to let that trust seep into every area of their life. So their faith is little in the sense that it's deficient. Uh, they, they haven't learned to live under God's care. They haven't learned to trust. But here's the good news for us. Look at what it says in verse 31. Don't worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? Verse 32. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. What I love about this is it says, for the Gentiles seek all these things. It's kind of like saying the Gentiles, the people who don't know God as Father, they go after all the things. They think all the things are in their power to get and control and that their life is only worthy if they get all these things. But it says, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Actually, in the Greek, it says all the things as well. They didn't put that in this version, but it's, a, it's a emphasizing that God doesn't know uh, just like that you need a few things. God knows everything that you need. And freedom comes when we begin to rest in understanding that it's not ultimately up to us. Our lives are in our hands. We plan well. We work hard. We're not lazy. We try and be productive members of society. But ultimately, the 
rest in his control. And a freedom comes, a freedom comes when we really rest in that. Such a freedom that we can make his kingdom our greatest ambition. We can run after God's rule and reign no matter what we're doing. Verse 33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Seek first. Make it your greatest ambition to follow God and live out being a citizen of his kingdom. Now, you don't deserve to be part of this kingdom. You were a rebel who, were shaking, who was shaking your fist at God. But because of his great mercy towards you, you were saved. Jesus' blood cleansed you. And now you've become a representative of God's mercy. You didn't love God, but God loved you. And now you are a representative of his love here on earth. You weren't righteous. You weren't walking, pursuing him. But Jesus was declared righteous over you, and now you are a representative of righteousness, whether it's in your neighborhood or your workplace or your family. You have been made part of the kingdom of God, not because of anything that you've done, but because of everything that Jesus has done. And here's the amazing thing. You are now part of God's commitment to show his kingdom here on this earth. God wants to show the earth what his justice is like, and he uses his people to do it. God wants to show his compassion for the vulnerable through you and me. God wants to, God wants to show the world what it means to love enemies, and it comes to expression as you and I love our enemies. We have been made part of the kingdom, but God has chosen that the way the kingdom comes to expression in this world is through his people that don't deserve to be part of that kingdom. And so Jesus challenges us, as you rest in the fact that God has cared for you, not just in your needs, but in your need for salvation, now you can pursue fully. You can run wholeheartedly. You can make it your deepest ambition to serve God and worship King Jesus and live as a citizen of that kingdom. And so maybe for you, maybe that means that you do need to reroute some of your time or some of your money or some of your energy. Maybe you do need to reroute some of that, but maybe it just means refocusing. Maybe you're pursuing after things hard and you've lost sight of God in the midst of pursuing those things. Maybe you need to refocus in your ambitions so that you're pursuing those things for the glory of God and not for your kingdom, for his kingdom and not for your own purposes. And see, that's one of the amazing things. As we let go of those things that we trust in, it actually helps us release the anxieties. Man, this money that I have, it's making me anxious. Give it away. Give it away. That's the crazy part of being part of God's kingdom. That's how you release anxieties is you trust God and you live out generosity. And Jesus ends with this in verse 34. He says, as you live that crazy kingdom way, don't worry about tomorrow. 
Don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Uh, Practical advice, but the only way we can really live that out is by resting in God's care for us. Uh, By believing what Jesus says at the very end of Matthew, that he'll be with us every day until this life is over and we meet King Jesus face to face. Where are you at? What are you running after? What's your deepest ambition? Where might you need to refocus your ambitions in the things that you're doing towards God? Where are your deepest anxieties in life? As we end, I want to invite you just to bow your head for a moment and take a moment before the Lord of just asking him, Lord, where do I need to refocus my ambitions? Lord, where do I need to release anxieties and trust you? And Lord, where can I renew my faith in your care for me? Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.